Right, hi everyone, thanks for joining. This is Seeking Sustainability Live number 57. We have Sam Barclay who's actually joining us from the UK right now. Thanks for joining Sam. Oh, you're so welcome, yeah. Sam and his partner run Japan Hidden Travel. Hidden Japan Travel, sorry, I got that the other way around. Uh, focus on Shikoku travel, uh, cycling tours, food tours, and rural destinations. So we're going to be doing a deep dive into the wonders of Shikoku Island today. I'm excited. Thanks so much. Sam, yeah, do you, yeah, thank you so much. You want to start by just briefly introducing yourself? Sure, yeah. So um, I'm Sam Barclay. Um, I'm from the UK originally, and but my heart definitely belongs in, in Japan and uh, on Shikoku. Uh, I first went to um, Japan after university. I was on a program called the JET program, and I was based up in um, just above Hiroshima uh, in uh, Shimane Prefecture, in a small town in the middle of the mountains with, um, I think, 4,000 people, but about 65% uh, of those were over the age of 70. And it was just absolute heaven for me. It was a place where I fell in love with the, the beauty of the Japanese countryside and the, um, the kindness of, of the local people. So after then, I kind of... What was it called? Was that Mizuho? Sorry. No, no, no. Not too far from Mizuho, in a place uh -huh. called Suano. Suano okay. Shore. Yeah, yeah. I know Suano. It's yeah. not too far from it's us. Yeah, it's kind of locally famous. It's a, a shore Kyoto, but you say that and everyone goes, yeah, but it's in Shimane. And so okay. No one travels <laughs> there. But for me, it was the absolute perfect place to um, to get to know Japan and to experience, um, to kind of to see a completely different side to the, to the country. And I suppose that's really informed um, the business that we now run. Um, so then I found myself a few years later um, in Matsuyama City, uh, which is in um, the prefecture of Ehime, which is one of the four prefectures of Shikoku. So those of you who don't know, Shikoku is the, is the South Island in Japan, has four prefectures, um, and I was in the one in the kind of the northwest of the island, Ehime. And, you know, I'm biased, but I think it's the most beautiful and the best of the four, um, although there are definite, there are wonderful places all over the island. Uh, so I was there for, um, I've been there on and off ever since, really, and that was about 15 years ago. Uh, and we, uh, Miho and I, so I run Hidden Japan Travel with Miho Ogura, um, and she's kind of, you know, my best friend, uh, and we started this idea for the business um, when we were cycling together. We both love cycling and love camping, love the outdoors, basically. Um, and we were, we were cycling through rural Japan, through rural Shikoku, um, and we had been to we'd been to these places. We'd been down these roads so many times before, and we just realised that there was a a kind of quiet beauty to the places that we were going, and that was so clearly juxtaposed to the to the rush of the city. And I think people people may gravitate towards the cities, and we we just on one of these cycling trips, we just said, wouldn't it be great if we could help people see this landscape? If we could help see people see Japan in some ways through our lens and through the lens that we might just um, develop through our tours and to uh, to show this side of Japan uh, so tourists are able to get a more balanced perspective um, when they when they visit when they visit Japan yeah for sure I think it's I mean I lived in Kyushu as a jet as well um, <laughs> many years ago and we visited Shikoku a few times and did cycling tours around 
Um, okay. And it was always such a great trip. And even coming from Kyushu, Shikoku was somehow, I don't know, it's, it's a smaller island, so it's easier to see all those great coastal views as you're cycling around. It's a wonderful place to cycle. You've also got the mountains, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you've got the mountains. You're never too far from mountain. You're never too far from the sea. I mean, really. And then, it, you know, once you go into the mountains, you've got some pretty incredible gorges um, as well. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of our cycling tours uh, are run in, at the moment, they're running kind of pretty flat areas, which tend to be near the coast. Um, but that doesn't mean there aren't other places to explore. So Mount Ishizuchi, for example, you know, the largest, the highest mountain in Western Japan um, is a really important cultural artifact and an incredible place to go climbing as well. And then to get there, you have to go through this really stunning gorge along the way. And, you know, I talk about it, in, uh, for me, it's a very special place, of course. Um, but it's also a place which is um, under threat in some ways. I mean, there's mass depopulation all across Shikoku. Um, and various programs to try and improve tourism, which um, might involve uh, kind of changing the dynamic, changing the local communities in some ways that might be irreversible. Um, so we wanted to to kind of use, not to, not to exploit, but to work with what is there, both in terms of the community, the people, and then also nature, um, as a way to, to kind of celebrate that aspect of Shikoku, if you like. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I'm showing your Facebook page right now, and mm. you guys have a beautiful Facebook page, really nice website as well, very simple. There's not easy, enough on the Facebook page. Easy to navigate. <laughs> no, I love it. Um, you know, keep it simple. Why not? I like that. But in your Facebook page, About page, you talk about being mm -hmm. a tour company based in Shikoku, Japan, passionate about introducing this beautiful part of the country to you. All tours allow you to see this area at your own pace, unique experiences, create lifelong memories. And mm -hmm. you guys talk about your passion for the area and wanting to share it. But, um, and I think that's, you know, beautiful and great. Just before we went live, you were talking about and uh, not wanting to share everything though can you <laughs> can you expand on that because i think that's very typical right <laughs> yeah there are there are a few secret spots that we have you know there are a few spots that, and actually some of the photos are from those secret spots so i've often wondered if if people are able to work out the gps you know by right clicking on something on one of the photos and it will take you to some secret camping ground that we have um yeah there, there are a couple of places there's a campsite um so one time, actually it was Miho and I were um, climbing uh, a mountain in the Ia Valley called Mount Surugi. And um, it was absolutely lashing it down with rain and we were, we were looking for a campsite. And as we were driving down the, we were driving down the side of Mount Surugi because we were going to camp on the side. There's a free campsite on the top of Mount Surugi, but we couldn't, um, the rain just stopped us from, uh, from camping there. So as we were coming down the mountain, we were driving past this beautiful forest and we just saw a flat piece of ground next to this beautiful mountain river. And we just thought, right, let's just stop the car. We'll just go and camp under in this forest. And it was just stunning. And that's a place that no matter how many times people ask me, I'm not going to tell them <laughs> where that is. That's, that's well, you have to have some right. secrets. I mean, but the exactly. whole name, the name of your business is Hidden Japan. So you have to be careful that other travel companies or other guides don't steal all your ideas because it should be hidden and it should be new. But I think just the idea of if you come on your own self-catered tours, 
um, which a lot of people like to do, I would say if you're going to Shikoku or Kyushu, a lot of the areas, or even around Hiroshima, you are just not going to be able to do it without a local guide. Not just because linguistically, but just the know-how. I think I mean, you, you've been doing it for 15 years, you and your partner, and you, you know which shopkeepers have the best stories, right? You, yeah, you right. know which back streets to take, which has interesting things to see along the way. So it's, it's not just go here, it'll definitely impress you. It's all about the storytelling as well, don't you think? That's such a great point. Such a great point that um, I can't remember. We, we had. I remember having a conversation one time about this kind of the trifecta of the, of the things that we're looking for. And it's kind of a wonderful experience, uh, a wonderful um, environment. And then also some kind of, um, and then you have that story, then you have the narrative that kind of brings it all together. So just to give you an example, one of the tours we run, um, which is the, uh, you travel to the mountains and you make uh, soba noodles with uh, a local. And, you know, that in itself sounds really appealing to me. I mean, I love eating soba, I love cooking, I love the idea of being in the middle of the Japanese mountains. Um, and as I say, that by itself is quite nice, but once you realize you know, who the person is you're making it with as well and her personality and then what she can bring that, what she can bring to the tour, and then, all, then you have that kind of constructed um, experience between the, uh, my, either the, the tour guide or the, uh, the person who's leading the, the, the cooking class in this case, and then also the guests. And that is somehow, you know, that experience is going to be is inherently unique. Yeah? It depends on the relationships that you can build up with your tour guide or the person who's leading the tour. So really the personality of the person is really vital. And so the person that we work with um, in this in this gorge on the tour, uh, she's a lovely uh, elderly woman who moved from Matsuyama. She's a she was a professional stained glass artist who relocated to the middle of the Japanese mountains for inspiration. Um, she farms all her own ingredients, including growing buckwheat, and then she cuts the buckwheat, mills it, uses that to make th for the flour, um, and as I say, grows everything that she produces on the tour in her own garden. So being able to work with someone like that gives our, um, it enables us to tell the story, essentially, and introduce people to, um, to locals that they just really, really would never have the opportunity to meet um, if it weren't for tours like ours. Yeah, and how have the like how has she received visitors? Is she appreciating people coming to visit, or is it kind of mendoxai and? No, yeah. not at all. She's so lovely. <laughs> Just, you can't you can't imagine how lovely she is. Yeah, um, that's she's lovely. Really great. She gets enthusiastic about it and uh, ends up. Um, you know, providing far more than we ever asked for on the tour. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, we, we only advertise making uh, soba noodles, but undoubtedly there's coffee and there's dessert. And then there's like another round of food that she brings out just because she wants people to have a really great time. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. And then, you know, people always ask me um, who are interested in becoming guides or interested in opening up their restaurant or inn or something when I do consulting. Um, they often say, but I don't speak English. And I always tell them, listen, it doesn't matter really, to be honest. If you have someone there who can help with a bit of English, but your kimoti, your feeling is welcome and I'm happy you're here, then the visitor will, will understand that. And I think that's more important than having a translator or someone 
speaking English, right? I, well, I, I agree. I think there are some things that transcend language and uh, language knowledge, and um, and I think one of them is personality. And somehow, you know, we can um, have connections with people even if we don't perhaps speak the same language. Um, and you get there is something also love. There's something wonderful about attempting to communicate despite um, kind of maybe linguistic uh, differences. You know. Yeah. Um, I remember having a lovely come when I first got to Japan and I didn't speak much Japanese. Um, I went to a restaurant and uh, with a, a local guy in Suano, and we ended up, you know, talking for like <laughs> two hours in very, very, very broken Japanese and pretty broken English. Um, but we were so we were both so engrossed in the conversation because we were doing whatever we could to interact and to communicate with each other um, that we're you know we're still really good we're still really close friends. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. And it's, so, it's, it's those connections that I think a lot of people miss. Uh, we're yeah. based in Hiroshima. So when I meet visitors, usually they've been in Japan for at least a week. And quite often they say, you know, I'll ask them, how's your trip going? Oh, everything's great. Japan's amazing. And then talking for a few more minutes and they always say, you know, Japanese people are so shy. Like I, I haven't really had a chance to talk to anybody you know like yeah. everybody's been so nice and very courteous but that's so true right and I think that's another reason to take a tour with locals because they kind of get you beyond that just greeting to a more real connection don't you think I think that's a really really great point yeah so one of the one of the um our kind of principles, if you like, is that travel should be not just observation, it should be participation. And I think for a number of people, when they come to Japan, they observe culture, they go to maybe they go to Tokyo, and they see they observe architecture, or they observe they maybe have the food, but they're not actually involved in the process of creating that food, or they're not having a discussion with the person who made the food. Um, and I think partly it's about the language barrier. Um, and partly it's about the cultural barrier. And, you know, partly it's also about just being in a country for a short period of time, that it's, it is inherently difficult to, to participate in the country, in the culture um, of a country in which you're in just for a few days, a few weeks, perhaps. Um, so one of, again, one of, yeah, one of our principles is to help people move beyond that observation mm -hmm. and actually participate in their experience in Japan, whether that is making soba in the middle of the mountains, whether that's going on a private food and culture tour through um, uh, a small Japanese town, which, you know, walking through a bamboo forest up to an ancient pirate fort, um, or whether it's cycling across the islands of the Shimanami um, and staying in local hotels, you know, one of which is, is owned and run by a fisherman who serves the food that he catches. Um, we're, we kind of strive to help people get, get beyond that level where they're just they're just looking from the outside and perhaps taking photos and having a couple of stories not to be kind of derogatory about that because that's obviously a really nice experience but actually get to the point where they can go home and they can say look what i did look look what happened when i met some people you know <laughs> look what happened when i went out i kind of went off the beaten path and and took a risk and so what we try to do is to support that if you like we don't want to um engineer it overly engineer it so all of our customers have a um, have an identical experience. We like to provide enough support to make sure that our our guests are safe and to make sure our guests are having the best time. 
but we don't want to provide too much support, which would prevent each experience from being unique. Um, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, for example, in the sober tour that I mentioned before, um, you know, it's not, there's no manual, there's no script, there's no, this is what we're going to do for, do you know what I mean? So it's, in some ways, it's reliant on the, the, um, the atmosphere that's created at the time. Uh, or on the, the tour of the Shimanami that we run, the Shimanami Kaido, which you might know runs from Hiroshima to, or from Hiroshima Prefecture to Ehime Prefecture. Um, yeah, we're going to we, show lots of your great photos in okay. a little while. That's yeah, great. we'll talk about that. Yeah. But and just to say, with that, with yeah. that we, we, provide like, we provide loads of, uh, uh, like a 40, 50 page uh, guidebook for mm -hmm. that that we've written mm -hmm. ourselves. But we don't say, you need to go to this place first and then this place and this place. It's not a guided tour as such that they're being led from one place to the next. We provide enough support to make sure that they see the best places, but ultimately it's their experience. Right. And we want them to be in control. We want it to be them to be participating in their own travel. Yeah, for sure. How many times do you meet travelers and, you know, they had so much preparation, but I think especially European travelers or Western travelers, they often change the plans along the way and do something else because an opportunity came up or uh, they met somebody who said, oh, you've got to try this, right? And yeah. it's a very different style of travel, which is, is, like you said, now you're shifting to more domestic travelers. Well, that's a very different style from Japanese travelers usually who plan everything in advance and do not deviate from the plan usually, right? Yeah, well, absolutely. But I think there are there's a large number of Japanese people, I think, who, who want that kind of travel as well. Yeah. Um, in, increasingly, they want that kind of unique experience. Good. Um, in, I mean, in some ways, you know, coming, going, particularly going from a big city to, to, to an island like Shikoku, in some ways, it's like a retreat, you know? And I think treating it in that way so you're not being handheld, you're not being led through a series of experiences, but actually it's a, it's a process of discovery and you're kind of embracing that that journey into the unknown gives it the sense of exploration which i think is such so, for me anyway is so important to to good travel um, but it's interesting interesting you talk about um journeys taking uh unplanned paths if i could just <laughs> give you a, a, a small story so yeah please ago, a small a few years ago i was going for work uh, i had a I had a conference i had to attend in um in in, in uh, ibaragi prefecture um, in near a place called Kashima, Kashima Jingu, which is, a, as you might know, is a very famous shrine uh, in that part of the world. And uh, I got a night bus from Matsuyama to, Shin, uh, to Shinjuku. And then my plan was to go from Shinjuku to, to Kashima by train. Um, and I'm, you can't see I'm sat down at the moment, but I'm six foot three um, to 190 centimeters. And I'm not really made for night buses. So I couldn't sleep the entire way. And I arrive in Shinjuku station and uh, I, I said, Sumasen, Kashima Mari, Ichimaya Can I have one ticket for Kashima? And they said, uh, they said, yeah, sure, that's going to be how much money. So I bought the ticket. And anyway, to, to make a very, what could be a very long story, not that long, um, I ended up on a train to um, Sendai, which is, as you, if you know your geography, is, you know, is, is nowhere near <laughs> Ibaragi. Um, and then after that, I got on another train for two hours. And uh, then I heard finally, the next stop is Kashima. The next stop is Kashima. So I stood up and I was in the middle of absolutely nowhere. I mean, no, I was just surrounded by fields. And there was a tiny sign that said Fukushima Prefecture, Kashima Oh my town. gosh. So I was obviously in the wrong Kashima, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, 
I had to travel by local train for six hours from this Kashima to this Kashima. And I ended up um, super late. I got in like on the last train and I kind of rocked up to my accommodation. I was looking absolutely exhausted. And uh, as I checked in, the guy said, um, you know, you were meant to be here much earlier. What happened? And uh, I kind of gave him a very brief summary and over a beer, we talked about it a bit more length. And then finally he said, uh, I, I said, so I said, so if you think about it, it's pretty rare, you know, going to two places called Kashima in the same day, you know, it doesn't happen every day. And he said to me, Kekko Ario. You know, there really? Are, there are no. quite a few Kashima in Japan. Oh, and is like, there? And at that point I said, you know what? I'm going to go to every place called Kashima. And so for the next, <laughs> next three years, I decided I hadn't been to them all because in my mind there were like five or six or something. Uh -huh. It turns out there are 47 places called Kashima. Oh in Japan. my gosh. Uh, and so far, I've been to 21 of them. <laughs> hey, so, good job. So that's about, I guess I tell that story because it's about kind of embracing the unknown and those kinds of wonderful experiences and wonderful moments. Yeah. And then it becomes. Like this, you end up going like that. You know? It becomes yeah. your thing. Your, yeah, exactly. your little narrow and deep that you know a lot about. You know about all the Kashimas now. And it gives you a reason <laughs> to travel to places that you would have absolutely no reason to travel to. And I guess this is where it links back to hidden Japan travel. Because, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're working in, if you're traveling in Japan, you know, and you look at a guidebook, you have a reason to go to Tokyo. Yeah, you have a reason to go to Hiroshima. You have a reason to go to um, other parts of Japan as well. But there's a lot of incredible places in the locations, perhaps, that you don't have a reason to go to. Mm. And so we're trying to give people a reason to travel to those places. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to act as a, as a vehicle to help them get to those places. Like to give you an example, when I was on the, my kind of Kashima trip, which is half, I'm taking a bit of a time out at the moment from it, but um, I went, uh, the first place I went to actually with, with Miho was in Wakayama prefecture. Uh, in the south of Wakayama, there's an island called Kashima. Uh, and it became famous because um, it was, uh, there was a, a, f a famous Japanese uh, biologist called um, Minakata Kumagusu who lived near there. And this guy, once you start, and I'd never heard of this guy. I had no reason to kind of, to learn about him. But when you start to read about his life, it's, I mean, he's an absolutely fascinating human being who traveled the world, um, became respected by international diplomat, international figures of importance, um, met the Japanese emperor and so impressed the Japanese emperor that the emperor changed his plans just so he could spend more time with this, this kind of um, eccentric academic. He spoke 19 languages, published in five, is, is seen as being, you know, one of the most intelligent Japanese um, uh, thinkers ever to, ever to have lived, but yet he's not really known about. And so that I would never have learned about him had I not been on that trip. And in some ways we're trying to facilitate that with the tours that we run. As That's well, okay. Great. They might not be in Yama Prefecture, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of showing yeah. the lens of Japan that you would just never have the opportunity to interact with, um, were it not be for for in Japan. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. We have our first comment. Melanie Brock says, "Great discussion. Love Shikoku. Can't wait to visit again." Ah, that's so good to hear. I love Shikoku as well. <laughs> yeah. So she's, I'm you know, she's based long time in Japan. That is mm -hmm. also part of your domestic market. So you don't have to radically throw everything out, you know, not just for Japanese travelers. I, I hope we'll see a lot more uh, residents, international residents traveling around Japan as well. 
now that yeah. now that it's not so crowded. I think that that has always put me off. And for years now, I have not recommended anyone go to Kyoto. I, <laughs> I always say skip Kyoto, skip Osaka, <laughs> skip Tokyo, unless you really like crowds. And now with coronavirus, that's definitely something you should consider. You know, you don't want to be around crowds all the time while you're you're traveling. So I think in that way, Shikoku, Chugoku area, Kyushu, there's a lot more appeal to the big outdoors, open spaces. I mean, if there's one thing that Kyushu and Shikoku have little of is crowds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think we should <laughs> embrace that. And I'm so yeah. happy to hear you say that you don't recommend people for people to go to to Kyoto. No, and I wish they would stop spending money on advertising for it because obviously the advertising worked. You don't need to do that anymore. Everybody knows about it. Everybody wants to go. Uh, let's talk about your Shimanami cycling tour sure. that you do. I've got such great photos from your website and Facebook here. Yeah. Tell us about it. So, um, so this, the idea for this tour started when Miho and I were cycling over the, the bridge that links Imabari, which is on the Ehime side, uh, with um, the first island, Oshima. And we were cycling over this bridge, as we've done a number of times before, and we realized that every single time we cycled over that bridge, we were moved by just the, the beauty of the, of the landscape. Um, and the, as I said, that kind of quiet beauty that it has. Um, in some ways, it's kind of a very humble landscape which is, um, as I say, in incredibly moving. And um, at that time, you know, Miho and I thought, this is a place where people maybe want to come, but they can't. Or people would want to come, but they don't know that they can. And so we thought, well, how can we, how can we help people see this landscape? How can we help people interact with the people and the culture um, here? And so we developed that, so we started to think about uh, the kinds of tours we could offer. And, you know, there are some people who will cycle across the Shimanami Kaido. Just for those of you who don't know, the, the Shimanami Kaido is a series of bridges which links um, a, a number of islands in the Seto Ichi, the Seto Inland Sea. So you can travel from Hiroshima, so we, from Hiroshima side to the city of Onomichi, and then you can cycle 70, 70 75 kilometers across a series of bridges and a series of islands to end up in uh, Imabari, so on the Ehime side. And essentially then it's kind of island hopping by bike. Yeah, and the bridges are absolutely stunning as well, and the um, the whole the whole area is lovely. Um, and so we and some people do this tour in, in a day, and they miss out on a lot of the beauty that is around. Some people do it in two days, and they stay in a hostel in the middle, and they interact with other tourists, and that's totally fine. But we just said that's not really for us. That's not what. That's not the kind of experience we want our guests to have. That's not the kind of tour that we want to recommend. So. We uh, came up with a three-day, two-night tour uh, that starts in Imabari and ends in, sorry, starts in Onomichi and ends in Imabari. So on the first night, uh, so on, the, on each day, uh, our guests do about 35, 40 kilometers. But if they're kind of real cyclists, they can go, they can do more if they want to. So we give them extensions that they can, they can take. Um, the hotels that we use are kind of super local, out-of-the-way places. So the, just to give you an example, the, the hotel on the first night, um, you can only get there by boat, and it's run by a fisherman. He serves what he catches that day. 
and it's incredible food and incredible right next to the sea it's just beautiful has a um a hot has a bath on the on the roof so you can look out over the sea um on the second night you stay in a hotel with only four rooms owned by a, a, a small japanese family which is again the food there is just just stunning and so we because we're locals we end up we can work with these people we can build up relationships with them and um we can put things together which is kind of truly special and then along the way as i said our guests have to do about 35 kilometers of cycling but to make sure they're really well supported and to make sure they have a great time we provide a pretty extensive guidebook of places that we pick places that we've been to and that we love um, some of them are about culture so there are a couple of kind of castles along the way there are a couple of um, really interesting temples or shrines um, other places are about nature so it might be kind of a hidden beach or it might be um, a, a mountaintop uh prayer bell for example that people can hike up to um, we also give recommendations for food and for drinks or kind of local lunch spots that are out of the way and these are all places that we've been to we know we've eaten there we've spoken to the people there we've we've said look if somebody comes and they can't really speak japanese can they just point to our guidebook and it says what's really nice and they can um they can order that with you then they can order from you and those people are totally fine with that um, and so in addition to that guidebook, we also give each of our groups uh, a phone. And on that phone is a series of Google Maps. And those maps also link to those places. And then the phone acts as a safety net. So if our customers have an issue, they can get in touch with us by the phone. So like just to give you an example, we had um, a guest last year who got a puncture halfway up a mountain. <laughs> he was... Uh, he was he he liked to cycle, so he was uh, he was going to some pretty adventurous places and got a puncture half of a mountain and sent us a message saying, "Can you help?" And we were there within like 15 minutes to change his to change his tire out, and then he was on his way. Um, when he get when he gets to his hotel, he we've left we move his bags from the first from the beginning to the first hotel and then the first hotel to the second hotel. So actually, we we don't meet our guests for three days, but we're kind of facilitating their journey through this kind of unexplored um, part of Japan. Wow, interesting. And can you talk a mm. bit about the route? Like a lot of it is over bridges. Um, you said it's mostly flat. I've got some pictures here. It looks like there are some hills, <laughs> but, yeah. but you're cycling up so you can have a nice view, right? Absolutely, and you know, Miho and I often argue about this because I say, yeah, it's mostly flat. And she's, she says, no, no, no. <laughs> no, there are some hills. I think she feels hills more than I do. I uh, definitely do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm more. I'm just focusing on the on the beautiful views. Um, so there there are a few hills for sure because you know in order to get up to the bridges you have to cycle up and then to get down from the bridges you have to cycle down and there are a couple of hills across the islands as well. Uh, particularly on the last island, there's a few hills. Um, but in in general, it's 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 quite flat. I think probably for cycling in Japan, it's pretty flat. Um, you know, you can find hills pretty easily <laughs> in Japan, even if you're not looking for them uh, on a bike. Uh, so it's, yeah, the cycling is, is, is not too, too difficult. And actually one of the reasons why we started this tour is to help people who aren't kind of cyclists mm -hmm. do the whole, do the whole trip. Um, I think it's, it's become a really famous place for cyclists. Um, but it still can be inaccessible for those who maybe aren't who don't think of themselves as, as, as kind of athletic, for example. And so we want to support those people to help those guys also see an incredible part of Japan. That's great. 
What what yeah. kind of people have been booking the cycling tour? Like, where are they from? Tell me a bit about the demographic. Yeah, so we have um, a couple of people who, uh, so some of our guests live in Japan mm -hmm. um, and are foreign residents in Japan. And uh, maybe they live in, I think we had a, a few groups who lived in Tokyo and other groups who lived in kind of well, big cities, basically, yeah. And they wanted to have a break from the big cities, so they came with us for the for like a long weekend, um, and that's something that we were yeah really happy to, to work with them with work with them on. Um, other times we have um, we've had groups from Singapore do it. We've had groups from America, from the UK. Mostly, I mean, our website is written in English. I think so. Most of our customers tend come, tend to come from um, Anglophone countries, um, but um, yeah, uh, we had. Our market are kind of they're over 30, I'd say, between 30 and our eldest customer was 65. Um, a single tourist, a single traveler from Australia, who uh, wanted to see rural Japan and just got in touch with us and said, "What can you do? Can you help?" And she ended up doing a cooking tour in Matsuyama, nice. and then we uh, we worked out the Shimanami Kaido cycling for her as well. And she was really nervous that she she said, "I don't think I can do it. You know, it's three days of cycling. I'm not sure I can make it." And you can't imagine how big the smile was when she finished the tour. She was oh, just that's awesome. over the moon. Yeah, and like we had we had a, a doc, we had a, a pair, a couple from um, from New York, and uh, when they he was they were all really serious when they started, and when they finished, the guy was like, "I think I'm going to move here. I think I'm going to move to this part of Japan," Aww. and his wife just stayed absolutely silent. <laughs> <laughs> she was, I think she also loved it, but I think she didn't want to give up her her Manhattan. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, and then we had a we had a couple who who proposed to each other oh, as well. So it came. Lovely. It's, it's lovely that we can be part of that life that life moment for them, you know. <laughs> so what's the Japanese level like? Do you get people who can speak a little bit of Japanese? Have they traveled around before? Are you you finding you're getting more like second visit Japan people or? you get any first timers? I would guess you would get a lot of people who've been to Japan before but not to this area. We do, yeah. So I think that's fair to say. Most of our guests are here for the second time, be in Japan for the second time. But a lot of them have no Japanese ability at all. So, And that's why we come in, yeah? That's kind of, um, mm. that's one of the reasons why we, yeah. So we, we pick places, the guide are, the hotels we use, you know, they don't speak much English. But we've set it up so that you don't need to understand each other's languages. Yeah. Like the, when you get to the hotel, the food is booked for you. The food is already paid for. Mm -hmm. um, your your luggage is in your room. Um, there's also like a message card. So if you wanted to get, uh, a, if you want the hotel to drive you to the port the next day, you just take that card and it's written in Japanese and it says, please drive me to the port. Um, so all of those kinds of systems are in place to support people who don't speak Japanese. Nice. Um, we do have some people who for whom it's their first trip to Japan. Um and I guess the way we envisaged it is, you said before about Osaka, yeah? Um, and I, I am in total agreement about it. I'm sorry if anyone lives in Osaka who's listening to this. I but, know people who live in uh, Osaka. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's when, I, when, I'm advised, when people ask me where they should go in Japan, and they say, so I say, what are you thinking about? It's my first question, yeah? And they say, I want to go to Tokyo, and then Osaka, and then maybe Nagoya, and then maybe Fukuoka. I'm like, yeah, those, you know, they're great places, but pretty similar mm. i mean if you've lived in japan for ages you can see the difference between those cities yeah? and you can see the difference in in cuisine particularly and in kind of lifestyle and culture and you can totally see that i'm not saying they're they're identical 
But I think the difference between those cities is nowhere near as great as the difference between those cities and the Shimanami Kaido or between mm-hmm. Shikoku. Yeah. And so we were kind of, we want to be that kind of third space, basically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you might go to Tokyo. I mean, you, you know, if you're in Japan for the first time, you probably have to go to Tokyo, even for a short period of time. And then after that, you know, maybe you want to go to Kyoto for a few days. Okay, great. And then on the way to Hiroshima, for example, swing by the Shimanami Kaido have three days on the Shimanami Kaido exploring a completely different part of Japan, get the ferry, stay one night in Matsuyama, get a ferry to, to Hiroshima and go back on your journey. It's like a three-day um, excursion from the traditional tourist path. But I think what you would gain in those three days um, is, is incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And something I do say, because of course people have to fly in uh, once inbound tourism starts again, or even domestic tourism, the big airports are Tokyo, Osaka. But the greatest thing about Tokyo, Osaka is near is amazing places to explore as well. So you don't have to stay in the city center. And I think even for residents of Tokyo, Osaka, they would agree the less tourists in the city center would be better for everybody. <laughs> I, know, I, think you're, I mean, there are stories in Kyoto yeah, that people can't book a table oh. in a restaurant anymore. Um, and actually, I think one of the one of the, people know about the the Japan Rail Pass, yeah, for international travellers. Um, it's but I think one of the one of the the perks that's underutilized is that um, I can't what it's called now, like the Yokozo Japan tickets. So you can get a domestic flight anywhere in Japan for like ten thousand yen if you're an international tourist. Which is just incredible. So you can, you know, you can arrive in in uh, Narita, uh, you will arrive in Haneda, and you can travel to, from there to to Kochi City on Shikoku for ten thousand yen, and you know you're there an hour and a half later. You can travel to Miyazaki if you want on Kyushu, and then work back towards Tokyo. So I think using those kinds of um, that infrastructure that's available. Um, can be really yeah can be really useful makes a lot of sense if people aren't cycling um do you recommend going around shikoku by rent a car there's really not a lot of trains there are buses right there are yeah there there is a, a really great uh, trail uh, train um pass you can buy it's actually pretty cheap and you can also buy um a bus uh, a bus pass as well for like three days um we have details on our website about all of that on our um, access um, okay. access Shikoku page. Great. Um, and I mean, there are what, what what we recommend is that people try to get to Shikoku by boat if they can because it's so romantic. Nice. You know, you can take a boat from Osaka or from um, used to be from Kobe, but that's stopping, I think. So mm. yeah, you can take the overnight boat from from Osaka or from from Kitakushi, and that brings you up into into Ehime into Matsuyama, and uh, you save your night's accommodation. You have a great experience. They have baths on the boat, which is great. Um, I love that. I know I do as well. And then, and then you're because it you moves have... as you're moving. The water is moving as well. I did Such that going to travel. Hokkaido. I love that. Yeah. Uh, before we move on to Matsuyama, you can tell us all about Matsuyama Dogo. Uh, sure. I love this feature that you guys are doing. You're giving people water bottles at the yes. beginning of the cycle tour. Yay! Thank you so much for saying about the water. I love those That's waters. awesome. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That's really lovely of you to say that. But can I, while you mention that, can you see that our um, our logo is on the side of the water? Yes, bottle? I can. It's a beautiful... Can you work out what what that is? Hard-wearing... What, the, the kanji? Yeah. So the kanji is... Um, 
is travel, yeah? Travel, yeah. It's travel, but if you don't speak Japanese and you look at it, is it kind of looking like two people walking? I so the, saw the person, I saw your animation of that. That was so cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you've got you've got the left hand side what is the I guess the guy and the yeah. right hand side is the You woman, should yeah. you should also suggest since you're giving people refillable bottles that they download the MyMizu app. Ah, that's a really great idea. Right? And then they can uh, find out where all the refill spots are. I mean, it's it's not too difficult along the Shimanami. They have a lot of uh, water refill places, but it's it's free and it's pretty convenient. I also like this Echo Origami envelope that your partner does. It's yeah. gorgeous. Nice idea. I, Japanese culture I, and reuse. Yeah. So that's we use those for the on our Shimanami Kaido tour partly. So um, the uh, we because there are a number of ferries involved in the tour, we provide the uh, the fee that people need to pay on the ferry, and so each of them has like the note has the price written on the top and stuff. So yeah, they know how much they just need to give the envelope over to the person on the ferry to pay for it. So we thought we'd make it interesting and yeah, give some lovely Japanese. That's tips. lovely. Yeah. Uh, I was talking yesterday about uh, furoshiki, right? Like using, yeah, yeah. I carry this travel set with me all the time. I don't know if you can see. Can you see? Can I you can't see, see but no. You can't <laughs> no? Can imagine. Okay, yeah. so the outside is furoshiki, so I can use it as a shopping bag. And then I just have a hairband, and then I've got chopsticks and a straw, reusable straw. And so I keep this in my bag all the time. Um, nobody's selling sets like that, but it's so easy and... And then you don't need to get all the disposable cutlery, and you've already got a bag if you need it. So there we go. Yeah, little and just, little tips. <laughs> and just to give a just to give a plug to Ehime, and if, if if you wanted to put that kind of set together, find yourself in um in the Dogo Arcade, and you could get an Imabari Furoshiki from made of Imabari material, that famous kind of Imabari towel. They um they make some really lovely Furoshiki. And there's also a, a chopstick uh, shop there. You can get your engra your your name engraved oh, in your own chopsticks. Oh, that's lovely! Yeah. They also have some amazing wooden um, bento boxes as well there. So you, you can buy that all. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, that's awesome. That's, yeah, uh, you can buy it all at one arcade. <laughs> the one picture I have from your website of Imabari is that the waterfall that you you say there's a beautiful waterfall. Maybe that's part of the soba trip. Ah, yeah, yeah. So that's not in Imabari City. That's okay. um, it's kind of in the mountains above Imabari, I guess. Um, near a, near a, uh, another a, the town that neighbors Imabari called Toon. Um, it's gorgeous. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really that's really beautiful. And actually, that whole the um, I can't see the picture at the moment, but the the uh, the kind of chamber at the back of which is the waterfall in Japanese is known as the Dunohara, the you know the the belly of the dragon. Oh. Um, and you really get a sense when you're standing, if you're like me and you're a bit, you know, a bit stupid, you stand in the waterfall in the middle of winter and, <laughs> and you look down and you can see icicles hanging down from tree roots down into this, into this, um, canyon. Uh, and it's just stunning. It's oh absolutely my gosh. Beautiful. Yeah. Amazing. It looks like an amazing place. And you get, how do you get people up there by bus? You guys are a certified travel company. So yeah. that means you can transport people as well, which... So we can transport people if, if it's kind of a shuttle. Right. We can. Yeah. We can shuttle people to the beginning of our tours, yeah. All right. Uh, we've got 15 minutes left. Let's talk about Matsuyama and your area, your hometown. 
<laughs> One of my favorite topics. Yeah, yeah go. Off you so, go. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, so Matsuyama, is, I, think, I think it's the biggest city on Shikoku, I want to say it is. Um, it, and uh, it has a population of about 350, 400,000, but it's kind of merged with loads of different areas around it. So it's now the, the kind of the geography is massive, but um, in the actual sense is pretty small. Um, it's a historic town that you might have heard of the of Dogo Onsen, which um, they claim is kind of one of the oldest the oldest uh, hot springs in Japan, uh, and it's really stunning. The water there is a little bit too hot for some people's tastes, but once you get used to it, it's lovely, and um, it's one of the kind of the must do things uh, in Matsuyama City. Uh, Matsuyama also has incredible food. I mean, really incredible. The whole of Shikoku has great food. But just to give you an example of this, we were running a tour with some people who lived in uh, Tokyo and they ran, they came across to see us and we took them on our Matsuyama food and culture tour. And uh, they was, we, took, we went to this place for lunch to have a local um, a local speciality called Tai Meishi. And uh, they said, like, in Tokyo, this would cost the entire, this would be the equivalent, this would be the cost of the whole tour just for this, just for lunch. Um, because the, the quality of the fish is just, is, is fantastic. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's got an amazing seafood. It's got great location. Um, you've got the mountains just nearby. You've got the sea 10 minutes away. Um, we know that it's got great fishing, if that's what you're into. We're just so about to start a fishing, for, a fishing tour. Actually, could you well. run yeah. us through the food tour? Uh, um, yeah, that's a good one. Yep. That's really good. Otherwise, I'm basically just quoting Wikipedia, aren't I? That's a good <laughs> thing to say. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so our food and culture tour kind of visits some of the places that are slightly off the beaten track. So we start in a in a port, uh, which is obviously by the sea, and um, it's kind of a very small um, suburb, I suppose, of Matsuyama, like the neighbouring town next to Matsuyama. And um, it starts. We start. We meet our guests at a really small uh, train station in the middle of nowhere, uh, and then from that train station we walk up through a bamboo forest. Um, up to a lookout point where you look out over the the Seto inland sea. Um, nice. It's you know the you know the images of the bamboo forest in Kyoto. Imagine that times a hundred, and with no one around you. You know it's somehow far more authentic um, and a really kind of lovely spiritual place. And then from there you come down, you go across uh, a boat, you go on a boat across a small stretch of water. Then that boat's been running for like uh, a hundred years or so. Um, I forget off the top of my head now, but um, and then we walk around. You sorry, then you yeah, walk around the local uh, this small town, visiting some small shops um, that sell things like furoshiki and um, and some ceramics as well. And then you have uh, two dishes for lunch at these small places that are run by um, kind of locals. Uh, and then from there you get on bikes and you cycle back in towards Matsuyama. Um, on the way into Matsuyama, you stop at. Um, the garden retreat of a, a haiku poet and you have some time out from the city in this small garden you can sit and we um you can learn a bit about haiku you can write haiku in this lovely place and then that's where you'd also have um some matcha green tea or some sencha so actually green tea it's a place for sencha not matcha i think i'm right in saying that miho will tell me i'm wrong because i can never remember which one is uh, which one we get there <laughs> Um, but Miho is very passionate about the difference between sencha and matcha, whereas matcha would be for the the, the elites. Sencha is the working man's tea and uh, oh, has a really important history. And so, yeah, there are no there are no kind of formalized rules with sencha. 
or as there are with matcha. So in some ways, it's it's a it's a much more free. Um, it was a much more kind of freeing experience. Um, and so from there, you, you cycle through the center of Matsuyama um, over towards the Dogo area. And then in Dogo, we go to uh, a lovely foot spring, um, a, sorry, a foot bath, walk through the arcades, and then um, finish with a glass of uh, a glass or two of local sake. Um, and if, if time allows, I mean, we obviously work with small groups. So sometimes our guests say they want to visit other places. So in the past, for example, we've taken people to um, temples on the 88 Temple Pilgrimage um, as part of that tour. Um, there's one temple that we, we like to use. And after kind of showing people um, how to how to pray at a Buddhist temple and how to kind of the meanings of it as well, you know, why you might have your left and your right hand together, what your left hand symbolizes and what your right hand symbolizes and why you do that, um, we then would kind of walk up through this cave towards the back of the temple and then again we take our customers our guests to a uh, through a bamboo forest to a lookout point where you can see pretty much over the whole of Matsuyama um, so it's a it's a tour that tries to help people see beyond just the couple of the the two popular spots in Matsuyama which are the castle and uh, and the onsen and I'm not nothing against Matsuyama castle it's absolutely fascinating and a beautiful place to go um, and we have taken tours there in the past um, but we feel it's the kind of place that like what we can offer is something beyond that. So we can offer the experience of, uh, traveling through a small town and, and recommendations of a uh, small restaurant. Whereas I think it's, we have less value added with a place like Matsuyama castle, even though we know a lot about it. And Miho's a wonderful, Miho does a lot of the touring. So she, a lot of the guiding. So she leads people through Matsuyama castle in the past and is really great. I think, again, what, what they gain from being with us in other places is perhaps bigger than what they gain in, in Matsuyama Castle, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so we yeah. like to show them the places that are slightly kind of off the beaten track. You know. And a chance to meet locals, not just the touristy spots. That's, that's your niche, right? Hidden Japan Absolutely. travel. Absolutely. It's about what we like to think is, is about experience, exploration, and encounters. So... All of our tours, we try and work out how those three things can be incorporated. So on the Matsuyama Food and Culture Tour, the experience is kind of cycling through the, the small streets, um, walking, th walking through these kind of local neighborhoods, meeting people. And then the encounter is meeting the people who work in the restaurants, um, one of whom is just a real character. There's a photo on our website. She's a real character. Um, also, coincidentally, there's these kind of two old chaps who, who sit by the road every day and they just happen to be sat there every time that we go past them. So we build up a really great relationship with them. And now they'll say, like, I'm sorry, this is immigration here. Um, this is immigration into the city. You can't come past this unless you take the oranges that we're going to give you. And so they bring now they bring oranges that they farm themselves Aww. and they give those to our guests. That's and lovely. It's a wonderful moment of kind of human interaction. You know, it's just, yeah, it's wonderful. That's fantastic. Um, I, you know, previously we were talking about that if someone is welcoming, it doesn't matter if they speak English or not. It's, it's that kimochi that's really important. But I think now, you know, we've realized how beautiful tours and beautiful connectivity you're setting up for people. You also have to kind of train the customer to have the same attitude, right? Have you 
Have you thought about that a bit? Like, do you try to word it in a certain way to try to get the visitor ready to be gracious? Not, you know, I mean, we've, we've all seen the, the bad tourist who doesn't seem to care about where they are and stuff. And I, I think you would probably get less of those kinds of tourists in Chikoku because they've made the effort to get there. But do you ever think about that? Like, you don't want to ruin the relationship you have with all these wonderful local people. Yeah, I mean, that's a really great point. I mean, it's something that we have, thankfully, we haven't experienced yet. Oh, good. Um, I think good. partly it comes from, I mean, when they see our website, when people book on our website, they, um, you know, will see what we're about. And hopefully they have this connection with not just what we do, but who we are and the, the principles that kind of that underpin the tours that we run. And I think if those principles align with theirs um, and they kind of see themselves um, and their character reflected on who we are and what we do, um, I think we, we tend to get guests who are really, yeah, who are really gracious, who are really um, polite, and those who just really want to um, make the most of their time here. I mean, they're not going to be on Shikoku for long. We've, we've worked with a lot of tour co- um, cruise ships, for example, and they just... They might stop in Matsuyama for a day and they just want to see see as much as possible uh, and get, you know, a real, have a really authentic experience. Um, and, yeah, we're, so far we've been really lucky. Everyone That's has been great. Really, really, well, knock really on wood, that lucky. continues. <laughs> yeah. We have a, a great comment. David Key says, I like this, a gem to stumble upon this live stream. Thank you for joining, David. And I hope you make it to Shikoku someday. Check out Hidden Japan Travel. Yeah. So we have about five more minutes. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about the future of what you guys want to do? So um, we want to, we want, there's a number of tours that we're we're thinking of doing. So um, uh, the the Shimanami Kaido cycling tour that I mentioned earlier, um, which I guess in some ways is our kind of flagship. It's one of our longest tours that we run. Um, we're, we're changing it up a bit. So we're going to still run what we have, but we're going to add another version that has a day of sea kayaking. So we're going to switch out a day of cycling for a day of sea kayaking. Nice. Uh, so you actually see, you sea kayak with a guide, of course, in this case, cause it's obviously quite dangerous. Um, but you have, you know, lunch on a beach, um, that the sea kayak, the, the, the kayak guide might make, um, and you sea kayak to your hotel <laughs> so you're, oh, wow. and then when you get there your, your luggage is, is is waiting for you and then and then the next day you get on the bikes and you have another two day cycling so um, we're really excited about that that's going to go live pretty soon actually we're just in final discussions with the the sea kayak um guide that's great we also yeah we also have um some other tours we're looking to run we're looking to do kind of longer cycling tours uh potentially to other parts of shikoku um we're also looking um at uh, uh, a few hiking tours um we want to there's some really beautiful mountains on shikoku and some of them have um like uh small houses on top of them um and so we're looking at like multi-day hikes where you are led by a guide to the top of a mountain you then spend a night on top of the mountain um learn, you know with uh with the guide and with um the person who owns the hut and then, yeah, you come down the next day and just have come back to normality. Wow, uh, that sounds day. amazing. Uh, yeah, it's pretty, we've got a, a question now from Tamie Turner. Thank you, Tamie. She says, great chat, guys. 
interested in what Sam thinks the potential negative impacts of growth in regional tourism could be for Shikoku Ehime. So it's a really, really great point. It's something that I think about a lot. And I think it's it's really pertinent with the Shimanami Kaido, particularly. Um, that, I mean, in some ways, Shikoku's um, main selling point is also its greatest weakness, yeah? That essentially, if it sells too much, if, it, if people come to, if Shikoku's really beautiful, and it, its selling point is its nature and its culture. And if too many people visit Shikoku, then um, it's going to be harder and harder to see that essentially, because you're going to be looking through uh, a crowd of people. And that's really not what Shikoku is about. That's not what I would I would argue the, you know, visiting the Japanese Inaka should be about. Um, it should be about those authentic experiences with locals. And this is becoming a real problem, I think, on the Shimanami Kaido, where there are now more and more people visiting. And there are big companies coming in from other parts of Japan, buying up some of the land and turn them into kind of resort hotels. And often they do that without being too kind of derogatory here. Um, I've got to be careful what I say. Uh, they, they do that without much consultation with the people who live on the islands. Um, and I think where, where, we would, where we would come in is saying, or our position would be that we want more people to come here. Yeah? We want more people to come to this really stunning part of Japan and see the beauty that it has to offer and the culture that it has here. But we need to work with the local community. We need to work with the people and we need to work in a way that doesn't, isn't negatively, isn't detrimental to the environment in which you're, in some ways you're using to sell these tours. And that's one of the reasons why in Japan Travel, we run small group tours. So we're not running kind of busloads of 60 people to the middle of the mountains. We want to work with groups of six or eight because part of that Part of the reason for that is that we can explain if it's a if it's a guided tour, we can explain these beautiful places and we can actually help help people understand why they are so special. Um, and if it's a self guided tour, we can allow people to the freedom to have that unique experience that you wouldn't really have if it was much larger groups of people. So it's a really really good question. It's something that we're thinking about a lot at the moment, um, and I think we Miho and I um, are aware of the role that we can play in trying to offset that the negative impact um, of mass tourism that mass, mass tourism might bring to this part of the world. Yeah. I, in, in terms of sustainable tourism, we don't want to go back to mass tourism. So coronavirus has been a really good thing for sustainable tourism because the only type of tourism that's going to be possible is not going to be mass tourism. It's going to be smaller groups, more open spaces. It has to be right? This is the new reality. So hopefully um, more businesses like yours and less businesses like the tour companies that drop off hundreds of people in a small temple at a time, that yeah. kind of tourism hopefully is behind us and not really going to be happening anytime soon. Um, and I think, I, think, I think you're right. I, I, I hope that as well. I think the difference comes between within like maybe our, our choice of verbs. Yeah. So like yeah. we want to show people and we want to help people. We want to help people see and to experience this part of Japan. Yeah. We, we're, and I think there are some people who would look to exploit cultural artifacts for financial gain. Yeah. And I think that idea of exploitation is, yeah, something that we have to resist at all costs. And I hope, as you say, I hope the pandemic will, will, uh, will force us to I hope so that. too. I mean, any... 
any manager just looking at it from the outside, it's very mm -hmm. tempting to say, oh, let's get as many people as we can. That's the success story. Whereas actually what, what we know, people working inside tourism know, is um, what you see with the connection with local people is it's not the masses of tourism, of people. That doesn't benefit local people. It doesn't benefit local economies. Who, mm -hmm. who actually benefits from that? Just the bus company oftentimes, right? So, I, yeah. Absolutely. So, what I mean, what Miho and I talk about a lot is that idea of metric. And when people say, well, you know, so, but, yeah, if you have 60 people on a bus and you drop them off at a, a temple and you make a ton of money from it, that's great. And you make all that success. That's not our metric of success. That's not how we're going to measure success. Um, we're going to, yeah, we, we take a different approach and say, um, you know, obviously we're, we're a business. We look to make money. Um, but we also have principles that we wouldn't cross in order to make money. Right. Absolutely yeah. the way every tour company should be thinking right now. Thank you yeah. so much. <laughs> uh, last comment from David Key. Smaller tours allow for true immersion in the culture rather than only heavily visual experience. And that's, that's so true, right? The checklist tourist on the group tour or the mass tour who just wants to see things and check them off and take a photo and leave. We, we kind of want to get more from our travel experiences in future than that. And I think costs are going to go up, so it's going to have to be higher quality, more meaningful travel anyway, right? I mean, absolutely. And that goes back to that point um, I was making about travel should be about participation, not just observation, yeah? So, and checklists are kind of inherently just it's a form of observation. Um, and, you know, you notice when you, when you speak to friends who have been abroad or been somewhere new and they're telling you about their travel, and they might have their phone up and they're just kind of scrolling through the photos. Yeah, I went here, I went here, I went here, I went here, I went here. And then they did something really interesting in one of those places. And for 30 minutes, they tell the most engaging story you can imagine. You know? But I met this guy there and we had this really interesting conversation. And we did this and we did this. And it's those types of experiences, I think, that, that are, for me anyway, and for our guests and for what Hidden Japan Travel stands for, are transformative. Yeah. And that's what we have to, um, uh, yeah, I think that's what we have to focus on in this kind of new normal or the next normal, whatever it is yeah. we're calling it. Awesome. I agree 100%. And before we started this talk, you were saying, we don't really do sustainable tourism. Yes, you do. And thank you. <laughs> thank you for all the great work that you guys do. It's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. No, thank you so much. Thank you for us to talk about it. It's great. Oh, and, wonderful. Um, I hope, yeah. I hope maybe, maybe yeah, <laughs> it'd be great to catch up again in a few months' time once, you know, there is a shift to more. I mean, at the moment, nobody's really traveling even domestically. So, mm. you know, in six months' time, it might be a whole new ball game. It'd be great yeah, to absolutely. revisit these themes, yeah? See how it's going. I'd love to. Yeah. I'd love to, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining today. And have a great weekend. Take care and see you next week. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye.